This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay, and I'm joined once again today by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello. Good afternoon. And, and by Don Booth. Hello, how's it going? Yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, I can't believe it's nearly the end of the season. Anyway, we're into the last week now. We're recording this on the 23rd of July. On the Wednesday, United drew with West Ham one all in the Premier League yesterday evening. It means they only need a point from their final game of the season against Leicester to secure Champions League football. But it's been a bit of an odd two weeks, really, an odd fortnight for United. Um, Some of you have been there at the games. And United have sort of regressed in recent weeks. Obviously, the standards have been so high since the restart. United are still unbeaten in the Premier League, at least since January. But the last two weeks, things haven't been quite the same. United have looked tired. They've looked maybe out of ideas a bit. And the draw against West Ham, God, it was boring. It was not. It was not a. Uh, <laughs> you, you've summed it up extremely well there. It, it was not a a game uh, laden with spectacle, and I think it summed it up afterwards that Solskjaer even alluded to United being act, being content with the draw, which, given that they left three. They didn't make three substitutions. They had three other um, options left. Uh, they didn't bother with that. The only attacking change he did make, I think, was in the 85th minute when Igalo came on. Um, that was I, I found that surprising. I, I thought that the game was was crying out for someone like Mata to come on, someone with who's who, who can pick a lock if you like, who has has got that in them. West Ham were very reticent. Uh, they, you know, I thought they defended quite easily. Really, United began very, very quickly, and it was probably their best start they've had in, in a few games. But as soon as that petered out, it was very comfortable for West Ham. And it was it was just a strange... It, the, the fallout from it is, is quite strange because you've got some people who are saying, I can't believe the negativity. They've moved up to third, and Liverpool have annihilated Chelsea. So United have stayed third, which I, I, when when I heard that, I thought I'd, trans, I'd gone over to a parallel universe. It was just strange that... United have dropped um, four points in their last two home games and it's taken them up to third, which I think says an awful lot about what substandard Premier League season this has been. And of course, people are saying, well, United were 14 points behind Leicester after 22 games. They had uh, their, their goal difference was 16 worse off than Leicester's when the season restarted next month. And of course, that's all perspective. And United are third. You know, their own fate is their fate is in their own hands. Going to Leicester on Sunday, but they're going to Leicester on Sunday. And as Gary Neville said uh, this this morning, I had on in the background just a replay of the game, and, and Neville was was right in saying that Leicester will will be encouraged by by what they've seen from United. United look jaded. Um, they're not playing at the level that they were before. I, I'd probably say before the Aston Villa game because they did not start well in that game. It, it was easy in the end, but certainly I think. Um, that there were there were telltale signs that this that the squad was creaking at, in in those first 23 minutes where Villa were, were very good and then the penalty was given away and, and and things just completely changed. But I just find it a bit peculiar that Solskjaer and I know Solskjaer is always ultra optimistic. I mean they could have lost three 0 last night and he'd have said, well we still made a great chance for ourselves and 
going to Leicester, being able to qualify for the top four. But top four really should have been a menial task for United this season in that they didn't lose Pogba. They invested more than any other team in the Premier League. I think on Solskjaer's watch, they've invested some like £216 million on four players. Tottenham, um, there was was rancor going on between Levy and Pochettino uh, at the start of the season. Obviously, Pochettino got sacked. Arsenal, as they've shown in the league this season, are just an irrelevance. Chelsea were hampered by uh, having to sell Hazard and hamstrung by not being able to, to sign any players. So that's half of the, the usual top six being in relative states of disarray. Top four should have been relatively routine for United. I know there was always the threat of Leicester and Leicester, however, whether they finish fifth or fourth or third, they've had a very good season. But this whole... It's, it's not going to be cause for bunting or, or dressing room selfies if United finish fourth and return to the Champions League. As I said, it was a menial job just getting back in the top four. And because it's a nervous run-in and people are using phrases like squeaky bum time, it's almost as if, like, oh, it's a massive sense of occasion, this United finishing fourth or third. It really isn't. And I'm not comparing them to the United of Ferguson's era. This, this is purely in the context of this season, of last summer, when they invested, they, they made the signings that they did in the transfer window. And so I was I was a little bit... It, it was a strange one to, to write about because I, it was a poor result. The, the players were cursing, uh, the analysts were cursing at Fernandez's free kick um, in the last in the last seconds. They, they were sat not far away from me. But that they've, they've moved up to third. Um, yeah, I, I just thought last night was largely negative there were a handful of positive performances and their position going to Leicester on Sunday is is a precarious one irrespective of the players Leicester uh, are missing and the fact that they've been playing like a drain since since the season restarted um, that it could easily blow up in United's faces and if they finish fifth that is a massive failure I, I don't care what people say and I know Solskjaer won't get sacked on back of finishing fifth but if they do, then the questions have got to be raised about the suitability of the manager again, especially when the preferred choice is a free agent and is no longer bound um, bound by Daniel Levy's uh, compensation charge. Yeah, like you said, though, Samuel, I mean, it's important to remember that Van Gaal and Mourinho both got Champions League in their first seasons at United, so it's got to be you know you, you'd be doing you'd be matching what David yeah. Moyes did if United missed out on Champions League. Uh, this season but obviously there's always a get out of jail free card with the Europa League next month there's always that caveat as well which makes things even more interesting Dom it was an interesting one yesterday as well I know uh, you were quite vocal on Twitter saying that it wasn't maybe as bad as some people were making out and you know West Ham have been very good lately you know this is a West Ham team which has beaten Chelsea as well uh, since the restart and they did really well in that game at the London Stadium but Last night's game, I guess it sort of separated the optimists from the pessimists in terms of United fans. And of course, the caveat as well this weekend is United could lose to Leicester and still finish in the top four if, if Chelsea weren't to beat Wolves, which, you know, there's so many permutations. But for you, what did you make of the game? Do you think it was as bad as people are saying? or? Well, yeah, those those tweets about United not being that bad, they were at half-time. I just think United <laughs> were dreadful in the second half and, and deserving of the criticism that Gary Neville was giving them even when they were playing quite well which I found a little bit strange. They, they didn't... I got to agree with Samuel that the lack of uh, freshening up of the side from Zolshar was, was utterly bizarre. Uh, I think... I actually think more in midfield than in attack. I think Pogba was having 
uh, via stretch, his worst game since the restart. Matic wasn't himself. He wasn't uh, quick enough with his passing. The tempo is very, very slow from United. Uh, and I think changes could have been made. You've got Fred and McTominay there, who Solskjaer has trusted in the past, but appears to have lost complete faith in, uh, which I find, I find strange at the moment. And then you, you can go back to other Solskjaer mistakes in, in terms of not freshening the side up sooner, not changing for for the Palace games or the the Villa game, he really should have changed his squad at the Southampton game as well. They looked leggy even in that one. So, yeah, but but despite all that, they could have won by a stretch last night and they'd be in the same position um, that they're in now, needing a draw off the final game at Leicester. So, yeah, I think context is all important. You you know, you can't... I don't think you can compare across Premier League seasons... If United finish third, they will deserve to finish third. If they finish fifth, they'll deserve to finish fifth. And and like Samuel says, Solskjaer must be judged off the back of of that. You know, the Premier League table doesn't lie. So yeah, there's a lot to think about ahead of Sunday. It's, it's a crucial game, obviously. But I, I do think I do see the reason why a lot of people are being optimistic and positive because you know if you've you'd said in January or December or November. United are going to be third, needing a draw to secure top four with one game to go of the season. Everyone would have taken that, wouldn't they? Yeah, exactly. Um, in terms of the changes that we could have seen, uh, Samuel, after the game, Samuel uh, Solskjaer said he wanted to have goal scorers out there who can score the goals on the pitch. In terms of the changes, I, I mean, I personally would like to see maybe Mata come on on the right, put Greenwood through the middle and move Marshall out wide or something and take Rashford off. But um, in terms of the personnel from the bench, you look at maybe the game changers. There was Daniel James, Juan Mata and Jesse Lingard who, who would come on and would maybe make an attacking difference to some degree anyway. Do you think the fact that Solskjaer didn't change them, do you think that's maybe a lack of faith in them that they can actually change them? Do you think he's becoming maybe too over-reliant on the, the best 11 that he's got at his disposal? History is repeating itself in that just like last year, he settled on the first 11 that were a couple of injuries away uh, from from collapsing and they got overplayed, they got tired and they missed out on top four. And apart from the fact that they're in, in the top three at the moment, it's 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 a similar situation um, this season as well. Uh, I think going back going back to last week with, with the team not changing it against Southampton, I completely understood because of the results that uh, the, you know, the Shellikings that, that Chelsea and Leicester had suffered at, at Sheffield United and Bournemouth. It was a case of, right, no, let's up. Let's, let's get this game won. And then we've got, you know, we got up to third. And that's a good Kickstarter for, for what was a big week. Uh, but they, they, it was clearly a game too much. And then come the Palace game, he didn't make enough changes. And then for the Chelsea game, he made too many changes and they lost. And then last night, it was almost as if, OK, so you've rotated and you've freshened the team up. By making five changes again, and you've done it for this. I, I was just, I just couldn't really understand the logic in that. Clearly, there was an element of prioritising last night's game um, on Sunday with the semi-final, and in the end, they were just clearly quite content with the draw. Um, I, I found that baffling. But in in answer, in direct answer to your question, Saskia will never, never ever um, accept it or, or sorry, admit it, but. Clearly, there are reservations about the attacking, um, the, the 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 attacking reserve that he's got. James, as we've said a number of times, has has not been performing for a number of months, dating back before the lockdown. Lingard has been out of form for the best part of two years. 
matter okay he can be one pace and there are certain games that you would just start him in like the cup games or teams against the, the, the fodder of the Premier League but I thought that situation last night was crying crying out for him and, and given the way as, as Dom said the midfielders were performing you, you might as well have sacrificed Matic to bring in McTominay who's got a bit more impetus and, and does get forward um, and has, has scored a few goals this season um, I mean there was, there was the usual, our Gary Neville's agenda with Pogba because he, he slated Pogba and, and rightly so and people thought he wasn't slagging off Rashford and I, I get that Rashford is a bit of a Teflon because of his charity work but, but Neville did dig him out a couple of times and Solskjaer did at least take him off but probably a bit too late. So it's, it's just it's, it's peculiar to think that a few weeks ago there were piece, think pieces or fans were asking questions. Oh, do we need Jack, Jaden Sancho? Do we need Jack Grealish? They they do need they do need two forwards because of of the fact that the, the manager clearly doesn't trust um, those in reserve to to offer sufficient support. And one of the starters up front at the moment is an 18 year old who has got to still be protected, has got to come out of the team at the right time and, and go back into the team at the right time. I mean, Greenwood, as, as Solskjaer said himself, he's bailed out United a couple of times this year. He's he's, he's earned them a fair few points in, in the Premier League or, or certainly um, saved them from, from losing games. I think Sheffield United and Everton spring to mind um, as, as well as West Ham last night. So, that again, it just reiterates they need investment. Last last week reiterated that and, and I think anybody sensible before this whole um, before the season restarted knew that they needed two forwards and it's it's becoming more apparent with every game at the moment. Dom, you look at the table, United third with uh, one game to play. Only lost eight times a season in the league. Man City have lost more with nine, but United have drawn 12 games and of course there was one more last night against West Ham. But maybe even another side note on, on the substitution issue is with five minutes left, it seemed like United were happier to protect the draw than risk, risk winning it and perhaps losing it on the counter-attack. Do you think maybe United are becoming too predictable uh, in the way they're playing and the fact that they are sticking to this best 11? Do you think maybe the players are get, some players are too safe in the starting 11? Because no matter how bad Fernandes and Rashford played last night, they're both going to be starting on Sunday. Yeah, and, and they should be doing because it's the most important game of the season and you start your best players in that game but it doesn't mean to say that you can't take people off and you can't punish people for okay you've played poorly after an hour you're coming off you know and even if you you haven't got a huge amount of faith in the reserve options I just don't think that sends the right message and I think that's the that's the mistake Solskjaer has made uh, in the last couple of games um, he's been happy enough to take off those fringe players when they come into the team for, for the Chelsea game for example he whipped off James and Fred uh, rightfully so because they, they were playing poorly but, yeah, I do think United have become a little predictable with their team selection. Leicester will know exactly the 11 that's going to play on Sunday, bar maybe the left-back, depending on Luke Shaw's fitness. And that issue of drawing games and of not being able to sort of kill games off and having the odd laps in defence that keeps coming back to bite them, the Pogba handball... Um, reminded me of the Eric Bailly handball against Southampton. It's just an absolute moment of madness when you look back at, at the replays. And they've cost United four points, those those two penalties. So it just it just smacks of a bit of a lack of composure and a bit of a lack of of a, a thought through plan and what United are trying to do and they need to sort of gather their thoughts together before Leicester and, and make sure that whether it's mental fatigue or whatever, it, it, it doesn't play a part. 
Yeah, and obviously the team selection for, for Sunday is going to be the players that Solskjaer trusts. But like you said, there may be a tiny bit of hypocrisy because at half-time he took Fogsu Mensah off because he wasn't performing. But it doesn't sound, send a good message when other players are playing just as badly and staying on the pitch, is it, Dom? It's just the fact that, like I said, he doesn't have the he doesn't have the reserves to that he trusts. But like Samuel said, I think Mata, I think Igalo, I think a couple more could have done done jobs. I think he, it's it's a very odd situation with Igalo. He just he just seems to only trust him for for cup games and to come on in the last ten minutes of games. And almost every time Igalo has come on in the Premier League, he's had a really big chance to score and he squandered it. And we saw that uh, against West Ham with that. Chance after Greenwood's good bit of play from the right, it's almost like Igalo doesn't trust himself to play in these Premier League games, and he hasn't quite scored that vital goal. Who knows? Maybe it'll maybe it'll come on Sunday. Yeah, we'll wait and see what happens uh, in terms of the weekend for Igalo's role going forward. But I guess that maybe brings up another issue, Samuel. I know that Gary Neville was saying last night United still need four or five signings this summer, but uh, obviously everyone knows United need a new attack in the field, they need a new right winger. But in terms of the striker issue, do you think United do need another striker up top? Because obviously Igalo, he has a, a purpose to play, and it's very good, and it's a luxury to have a player happy to play a supplementary role up front. But United still, you know, it only takes one injury, and that team completely changes. It's a valid point. I think the best thing about Igalo is that he's allowed Marshall to rest up. And if you look at Marshall's form since Igalo came in, in in the Premier League, his goal scoring has been has been excellent. And and the vast majority of those games, he's he's not completed ninety minutes, and that was happening um, before the lockdown started as well. So that that's the main purpose I think Igalo serves in, as far as the Premier League is concerned. The, the irony is, I mean, even though I know Dom said that he's Chelsea doesn't trust him as much in the league games, but I think pretty much every time he comes on the Premier League, he has a really good chance to score. Um, he certainly he certainly should have scored on his debut against Chelsea when he was one on one. I think he hit the post against Watford. He somehow hit Jordan Pickford at Goodison uh, last night as well. was was a pretty good chance. So he does get into goal scoring opportunities, but as far as the league goes, he just doesn't score goals. So that does raise the question: Well. Do, do they still need to be on the lookout for a striker? I think it's it's something that can be parked until at least the the winter window. If if there is a January transfer window, I mean, goodness knows what what the state of the the, the world is going to be at that time. Hopefully, it's it's back to normal completely and things are continuing. Um, you know, pe- we're, 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 normality is pretty much what it what it once was um, on on every level. But it's something that they have they have been considering. Uh, they are still considering. I think yeah, the United have kind of like opened the floodgates with the whole 804 right back um, mile long list and talking about always being on the lookout for players that are, that are going to improve the squad. I, I still think that they've got enough in Rashford, Marshall, and Greenwood. The, those are three. There are three players there that can play through the middle uh, as long as they're not isolated, as we saw earlier in the season when when Rashford was playing while Marshall was injured. Solskjaer clearly didn't think Greenwood was was ready to be starting league games on a consistent basis. Then uh, that's that's changed years now. So the support network is at least is at least a lot greater and more expansive for United to to protect whoever the number nine would be, depending on whether someone's injured or not. Um, so, as I said, I think that that's something that can be parked until next year. And y- you've got to be realistic in the next transfer window. I know United probably 
they probably do need four or five signings, but it's it's a big ask in in a in a COVID world where as look, I, I don't mean to bring the mood down, but Woodward has got a point when he talks about the economic realities and having to bear that in mind. And you look at United's history in, in summer windows, they've, they've never broken the £150 million barrier um, when it's come to signing signing players who, that, that permanently. I think it was just over £150 million in, in 2014, but that was because of the Falcao loan deal, uh, which was about £6 million. So historically, they've not, they've not you know, broken that barrier. They probably need to because of how far behind they are, uh, Liverpool and City, and, and how far they've been behind in recent years. I think that's they probably should have been breaking £150 million in certainly 2018, maybe in, in 2017. But that, that seems a big ask in the next transfer window because of the way the world has been this, this year. It's different at Chelsea because they've been able to to save money and they've got 88 million for, for Hazard um, and, and they're going to get some players off off the wage bill as well and, and in fairness to them the, the fees that Ziyech and, and Werner are going for look um, look pretty prudent all things considered and it'll be interesting to see if, if they do sign Havertz how much he will cost as well but they, there has to be there has to be a time where Chelsea have to stop spending as well it's, it's not as if that Chelsea are able to blow every club out of the water that they, they will have a ceiling just yeah, on, the, uh, on the striker thing sorry Rich I, I just think it would be a bit of a, a betrayal uh, to Solskjaer's decision last summer when he obviously made the decision to sell Lukaku uh, and gave the number 9 shirt to Martial uh, and look at the improvement made by both Martial and Rashford on the back of that decision this season I just think for, for Solskjaer to to go after like a marquee striker, a, a big name who's going to cost a big fee and expect to, to play every week. I just think, I, I can't see that working with with how much faith he's put in Martial and Rashford especially. And so, so that's why Sancho makes so much sense because he comes into a position where he knows he's going to be the main man and, and nobody particularly will feel threatened by that signing, even though it's a, you know, a big marquee name. So Martial and Rashford got 17 goals in the league each this season. That's a, that's a very healthy return and it justifies that risk in selling Lukaku, I think. Yeah, of course. And last summer, Solskjaer said that you know, if they were to get rid of Lukaku, they would replace him. It turns out that's Mason Greenwood. And like you said as well, Dom, if Sancho comes in, it means Greenwood has to play less on the right. He's used more as a number nine. It helps his development. It means Marshall can still be rotated for Greenwood. So there's a lot of uh, positives to that. And of course, if someone like Graylish came in as well, he's got the option to play out wide if necessary. So buying players that are versatile in other positions is, is also a way of getting around the striker issue. And one player who won't be at United next season, Jude Bellingham, finally completed his move to Dortmund uh, this week. No surprise given the, the sounds in recent weeks. And he'll get a lot of playtime, he'll get a good pathway into the first team at Dortmund. Uh, could kind of be good news for United in terms of getting Sancho as well. I mean, but Dortmund will have to get some money from somewhere. Uh, what do you think of the Bellingham deal, Dom? And what do you think it means for United's interest in Jadon Sancho? I don't know if it'll have a direct impact. You, you maybe hope that there are conversations going on behind the scenes um, between the two clubs. I mean, I think Bellingham has made the, made a good choice for his career. and It's the, the impact of a player like Sancho, which has obviously inspired him to, to choose Dortmund. Uh, and Dortmund have made a, an assurance that even at the age of 17, only, only just turned 17, Bellingham will, will play plenty of football next season. Uh, I don't think he's going to go out on loan again. So... Yeah, it's a very, very good move for him. Very good move for, for Dortmund. 
United, yeah, they were interested. I think they gave Bellingham and his family a tour of the training ground before lockdown, but it's not a, it's not a, a big, big priority target that United have missed out on. And they should be looking to, to promote maybe someone like Hannibal Medjbury, uh, a young attacking midfielder from their academy, uh, and putting a little bit more faith in him uh, in the future instead. So it's an interesting one. It'd be interesting to track Bellingham's uh, progress at Dortmund, that's for sure. Yeah, he's only ever really considered as a bonus by Jude Bellingham. And even in terms of James Garner, Dylan Levitt, and like you said, Medjbury, it's probably a positive for them. And it's it's maybe going to have to be faith in them and the players that I'd already have at the club that they'll get the opportunities where it would... I, I honestly did not know where Bellingham would fit into United because they would have had to spend a substantial fee and he'd have to make a warrant a first-team place. I'm not sure he'd maybe justify it at the moment. But uh, Samuel, we're looking ahead now to the weekend. It's going to be an interesting one at the King Power Stadium. United's record against Leicester... Obviously, everyone thinks of that 5-3 under Van Gaal, but it's been pretty decent against Leicester, particularly since Solskjaer has taken over. And United have you know, already done the business against them once this season. Like we said, there's a weird caveat that United could lose. I guess it would be typical United that they if they lost on Sunday and still qualify for the Champions League. But how do you feel going into that game at the King Power Stadium? Like you said, it's, it's a cup final for United. And after defeat at Wembley last weekend, they need to show that they've still got that big game mentality. Yes, uh, that that was peculiar of Solskjaer to say that they've they've gone out in two semi-finals, so we've got a final and have got to embrace that one. Finally, we're in one. Um, that was his his cheery outlook on it. Cliche alert. I, I mean, it's it's more the fact that that's that's the United manager who's kind of like, I mean, he's he he does remind me of. Uh, it's it's like the final scene in the life of Brian where they're all committed on, on the cross and they're, they're singing always look on the bright side of life. That does seem to be, it, it would have to be one of his Desert Island discs. Uh, I, I just, that that's something that is never going to go down well uh, with, with Sust United supporters. I mean, they've, this is the first time they've gone three years without a trophy since the late 80s. And he's talking about, he's trying to have a you know sunny outlook on it. Um, but it, it is. It's. I remember in 2003 when I think it was Chelsea Liverpool and they they met each other on the final day and it was winner takes all. Winner gets into the Champions League and that was a huge game for Chelsea because if they didn't get the Champions League, does does Roman Abramovich buy them that summer? I think he probably wouldn't have. Um, and they were in dire financial uh, dire financial state at the time. I think for United this weekend they've. As I said, I think Gary Neville called it um, correctly and that Leicester have got to be encouraged by what they've seen of United in, in recent matches. And that's some going given that Leicester have had a couple of absolute meltdowns along the way, Tottenham and, and Bournemouth. And I think they've only won five five league games this calendar year, which is a pitiful amount. And again, it just reaffirms what a substandard Premier League season this has been, that some that a team could, could win that few amount of games and still be in the top four for as long as they have been. Um, I, I don't... I mean, freshness shouldn't play as much of a part as it did last week for United. That There'll be a four-day gap uh, between the games. I know Leicester haven't played this week, and they'll have had a week's rest building up to the game on Sunday, uh, which, you know, Jose Mourinho used to say about having the, the benefit of closed weeks where you've not got a midweek match. He, he would know his team on the Monday, effectively, and you prepare with that team in mind or... Not not officially, but everyone's got an idea without knowing officially that that is the team. So Leicester have, have, have got that benefit, but I suppose just because of the way they've been playing, um, you, you would just about expect United to get through it. Not necessarily 
uh, through winning the game. But I mean, in terms of predictions, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, it's 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 a it's a hazard. It's an occupational hazard that sometimes we have to predict it, um, results. And if I had to predict the result, uh, having seen when the team was actually drop. And if that was the case on Sunday, then I wouldn't have predicted United would beat Chelsea because I just had no faith in in that team going out and winning uh, an FA Cup semi-final. But you'd imagine um, Luke Shaw probably back this weekend, Wan-Bissaka back in the team. I think it will be a first eleven um, team from Solskjaer in the, that, that team that he played five games in a row. They'll be back for, for the big one on Sunday. Yeah, it's going to be a real test of the players that Solskjaer trusts when that lineup's announced this weekend and yeah Dom it's going to be a real, real interesting one to see how it goes of course uh, like I said the Wolves-Chelsea games the other one Chelsea beat Wolves 5-2 early in the season but uh, for yourself would you go the same as Samuel would you just stick with the players who, who had that fantastic unbeaten run and the, the were playing the irresistible football since the break or would you be tempted to put someone else in there you know would you be tempted to put a a bit of a wild card in there because like you said Leicester will know exactly the United team to f- that they're going to face Yeah, I know I said that and now I'm about to say that I'd pick <laughs> the, the strongest team that, that's played all those games so I'm, I'm going to go back on myself and be a bit of a hypocrite. Um, I do think that there's nothing to fear with Leicester and I think that's that's a big factor in this You know, Leicester, like Samuel says they've been pretty atrocious since the restart They're like the new really Tottenham aren't they? Yeah, they I mean, are really, aren't they? You yeah. can't go. You can, it's it. It should be lads. It's Leicester. You know, you're playing Leicester when last day of the season. You shouldn't yeah, be afraid of that. The old Tottenham and and they finished fifth and bottled fourth on the last day of the season, a la Lasagna Gate or, and uh, AVB and all that. So, yeah, I, I do think that and there's big caveats in terms of Leicester not having uh, some big players available for the game. Uh, I think Madison and Chilwell and Didi as well. I think are all out at the moment. Certainly the, the first two that I mentioned are, are out. Um, so I, I, I just think the game's there for United to, to take it and they need to, to get fatigue out of their minds almost and, and just sort of go through uh, the burnout barrier. They, they've got much uh, plenty of time to rest after the game. It, it's, it's another cliche, like a cup final. It's like, oh, <laughs> let's leave it all on the line, lads. I think that's the mentality United have to have and you know, you really do bank on the likes of Pogba and Fernandez stepping up in in big games like this. That's what that's what they're at United for. And yeah, it is only top four. It's it's not it's not a title on the line, but it's the biggest game of United's season, and it's it's got to be treated that way. Yeah, of course. And Harry Maguire as well. He's had a difficult few weeks. He was better, I thought, against West Ham. But it'll be a sweet sweet way for him to end the season and to maybe justify his move last summer if he could beat Leicester on the final day and secure Champions League football at their expense but who knows what lies ahead it's going to be a fantastic weekend it's so nice as well mainly for me from a neutral point of view to go into the final day of the season with excitement at both ends of the table it won't quite be the championship last night but uh, we shall wait and see what happens Uh, Dom, Samuel thank you very much for joining us this week on the Manchester is Red podcast thank you Rich you're very welcome we will be back again next week to discuss all the implications of the weekend results who knows this time next week United might be in the Champions League Let's hope so. Fingers crossed for that. And obviously that will have huge implications on United's transfer plans for the summer. But please do leave a like and subscribe to the Manchester Red podcast if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next week.